really inexpensive way to learn public speaking. Go out and just talk to people in the world, practice, but always do it with what's in it for them. And if you do that, then you're being helpful while simultaneously honing your skills. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. I'm so excited to bring a good friend, a returning guest to the show, who's really a maverick when it comes to building the most incredible network of relationships when it comes to actually supporting you in your life, in your business. But not just that, a man who has so much wisdom when it comes to marketing and sales that we are going to be in for an incredible conversation today. I have the one and only Joe Polish on the show. And for those of you who aren't familiar with him, you have to know that this man is behind the Genius Network, creates masterminds that are 25,000, 100,000 people that are coming around the world to connect, to build businesses, and to create value. And one of the things I love the most about Joe is that he is a man who truly cares, is anchored and grounded in actually seeing things make a difference. He wants to see the world be better. He wants to support those that struggle, and he's always sharing more and more and more. And I'm so excited. First off, before we bring him on, know that his book, What's In It For Them, just came out. It's a bestseller on Wall Street and is an amazing read for anyone who wants to have more success and understand how the power of relationship can really get you there. It's with my absolute pleasure that I have Joe coming back on the show. Joe, welcome back. Great to be here, Jason. It is awesome. Hope you're doing amazing. Joe, you've connected with some of the most incredible individuals around the world. I mean, Tony Robbins, Ray Crowswell, you've had, you know, Tim Ferriss, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and you've been able to build this incredible network. And, you know, right now it seems like the world is more flat. Social media seems to make things more connected. And I'd be curious to know, given that You've been able to connect with all these people over these years. Do you find it's harder today to connect with, you know, relevant individuals or do you find it that it's easier now that we have access to these networks? Well, it's certainly easier to have a lot of relationships that are shallow versus ones that are deep. I guess if you spread yourself too thin, and that's real easy to do when there's a billion different ways to interact and connect with people. So it's how intentional you are with relationships, the difference between real friends and deal friends, how you're meeting people, how connected you are yourself. I mean, I think connecting with people, like genuinely connecting with people, where you feel it, you feel a real trust, a real rapport, has a lot to do with yourself. Are you lacking sleep? Is your nervous system jacked up? Are you overwhelmed? Or how present can you actually be? So in my book, What's In It For Them?, Part of it is how to connect with other people. That's mostly why people will read the book. They want to figure out how to develop relationships in business, reach opportunities, how to connect with other people. And the sort of underlying purpose is hopefully after people read it, they will be better connected with themselves. Because if you're disconnected with yourself, it's really hard to be connected with other people. You can know them. A lot of people can know you. I mean, I as do you, know many people that have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that follow them online that are extremely disconnected and don't have a lot of real friends, if any really deep relationships. They just have a lot of fans. They have done the PR, the marketing, the promotions. 
they focus on status, not necessarily growth. And I think if you really want to develop real connected relationships, it has to come with, you know, the title of my book. Even if someone never reads my book, if you emphasize what's in it for them, not what's in it for you, you're going to have a lot deeper relationships with people. We all want something in life. We want things from different people. No one would be listening or watching us have this conversation right now if they didn't want something. Maybe they want a business strategy or they want to learn about sales. They want to learn how to connect. Everybody wants something. When you want something from someone else, so you got to make sure that your give is equal to or greater than your want. And when you do that, that's how you actually develop lasting relationships with people that tend to like you. I mean, if you happen to have some that they just want, they don't necessarily even need to like you as a person. If you want them to really connect with you, though, and you come from a place of really looking out for them, what's in it for them, not what you think's in it for them, but really finding out what's in it for them, what do they actually want, then those are the people we tend to like. I mean, anyone that's listening to this, think about who are the people in your life that you really like. They're ones that are very caring. They're ones that have a shared value system, people that you know, you know that they're not just fair-weather friends. It's real easy if you're making money or you're doing well to have a bunch of people that are around to give you the impression or illusion that they really care. I mean, most people care about things. You know, most people will care about a good relationship or being in better physical shape or they'll care about eating well, but a lot of people don't. So there's a big difference between caring about things versus being committed. And so big difference. So I tend to think of who are you committed to? Are you committed to what's in it for them? Or are you just doing it because, oh, you're going to act like you have some interest in something just so you can have enough rapport with them to sell them something. And so there's a big distinction between connecting with somebody versus connecting. There's a lot of connectors out here that connect with people by conning them. And so you got to be careful of the narcissists, the sociopaths, the psychopaths, because they can mirror empathy. They can fake it. They can act enthusiastic. You can build rapport relatively quickly with just learning some methods and some techniques. Trust takes a little longer, though. Genuine trust with someone that you, you know, rapport is trust with comfort. You don't just, you know, trust somebody. You feel comfortable with them. And that's the type of deep rapport. Because you can make shallow rapport. I mean, if you're socially, you know, there's a lot of people that are way better at social settings than me. People think I'm some sort of extrovert that just loves to go out and meet people and can schmooze at cocktail parties. That stuff makes me really uncomfortable, as a matter of fact. If I know people, I'll still do it. I mean, most people don't know it makes me uncomfortable. You know, I constantly put myself in social situations where I'm a little nervous or a lot nervous or anxious. Over the years, though, I've learned that whatever you fear and don't face controls you, but whatever you fear and you take steps to face, you can often control it, and oftentimes you can get really good at it. So even though I was extremely disconnected growing up, I was a drug addict, I had a lot of challenges, tons of social anxiety, I learned over the years that, well, anything I want in life is going to come through relationships. I don't believe time is money, I believe relationships are money but it's relationships with the right people and being able to make the certain distinctions. And so anything that I learned or could even talk about today only is because I made a lot of mistakes. I've wasted a lot of time in what I call chapter two of my book is about 
Tammy, your time, attention, money, effort, and energy, which are the things that you can spend. I wasted a ton of time, attention, money. When I didn't have any money, I didn't have money, so I had a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of effort. And a lot of it was wasted on people that were not very caring, not reciprocal. And there's this weird thing about wanting approval from other people if you were raised in a way or your childhood were, or your life was traumatic oftentimes there's low self-esteem and low self-worth. And most of my life, I had a lot of low self-esteem and low self-worth. So I had to learn how to resource myself. And so today, way better than I was. But I just want to make that point because if anyone would go back to my childhood, high school, I mean, I was definitely afraid of asking someone out on a date. I, you know, I was so scared of public speaking. I used to have to get high just to go and be in front of a crowd. I would inebriate myself because it was just so crippling anxiety. And now today, you know, I can speak in front of 5,000 people for an hour and it, you know, it's not that I don't get nervous, but I can do it and I'm pretty good at it. So when I do it, and as a matter of fact, it gives me energy now. Before it used to be like, oh my God. So I try to take a lot of the shy, anxious people and I'll tell them, go to comedy clubs, go to Toastmasters, which is you know, really inexpensive way to learn public speaking, go out and just talk to people in the world, practice, but always do it with what's in it for them. And if you do that, then you're being helpful while simultaneously honing your skills. I have all kinds of ways that I, you know, go to clown school, hang around funny people, just put yourself in situations where you can just, you know, go and build rapport with other people and do it in a way to where you care about them. If you find yourself like, oh, you know, I'm so wrapped up in myself. Go help someone that really needs help. Go volunteer to homeless shelter. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of unique ways to get really skilled that most people would never even think of that cost little to no money. And while simultaneously being a servant leader in a lot of ways. What's funny, Jason, I have to point this out. So I'm staying at a friend's beach house that I flew in into California today. So there might be noise and stuff in the background, but I, here I am. I wanted to make sure I did this podcast with you because I'm looking forward to it. And so just wanted to point that out to the listeners if they happen to see weird people running around here. Fair enough. Joe, first off, I love that you've kind of give us the lowdown there because there's a lot to impact. And I think you've touched on a lot of important points when it comes to the reasons why it's so important to build relationships and the ways that it can be done, say, right versus wrong. And I find there's kind of this strange phenomenon, which is you talk about like fake friendships, fake rapport, or even, you know, connections. I find that's a fantastic word to introduce to the vocabulary. I don't think anybody goes with an intention that that's what they want, but yet we're receiving so many connections like that. So I have a large amount of audience members who are like, I want the genuine connections. This makes sense. I don't want the fake stuff. But when they go and reach out, they can't seem to kind of break through. They can't seem to get a response. And it's almost frustrating because you'll see the people with narcissistic tendencies break through. And you're like, why is it that people get to be attracted to that? Do I need to become like that to break the initial wall? So what's left for me? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And it's difficult, especially today. There are a lot of people in really high-level positions, politics, tech companies, you know, all areas of entertainment in positions of leadership that are scoundrels. I mean, liars, tyrants, and they're in high places and they seem to be 
not only protected and can get away with murder in some cases, some do, and a large portion of the world admires them and they make a lot of money. And then you have people that are out there being like, I work my ass off. I really genuinely care about people. And why is it that that person is getting hit? I mean, I, I think about that a lot for young people when you have so many shitty role models that are, you know, they're not very decent people. And I want to also mention, I have a friend, Dr. Don Wood. He's a trauma therapist, and he's one of my Genius Network members. And he has this great line. It's so good that I wrote about it in my book. And it's, he said, if you understood the atmospheric conditions of somebody's life, it would make sense why they are the way that they are. So my behavior, yours, I mean, I look at everything I say is just my perspective of the world. So I suggest everyone take anything that I'm saying and treat it like a 12-step group. You know, take what you like and leave the rest. If you agree with it, great. You know, try it on for size. Just because I say something doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be, you know, working for everybody. So the way that I look at it, though, is in the short term, a lot of narcissists and a lot of people seem to get ahead. However, life Although it can be short, it's also long. And I heard this saying early on in my life when I was in my 20s, be nice to the people you meet on the way up. They're the same people you're going to meet on the way down. And especially for younger people, if you're in your teens, 20s, 30s, 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years from now, you know, I'm 55 years old right now. And you will run into people decades later that you don't even realize it, but you will run into some of these people. And you can either leave scorched earth or you can be a useful, helpful, generous, caring, value-creating human being. And I know a lot of people, and you've seen this too, Jason, where they get famous for a short period of time. Or, you know, they write a best-selling book. They, you know, have a successful podcast. They're an entertainment musician, actor, actress, whatever. And they rise to the ranks of a certain level in some part of society in their community, but they're kind of shitty to people or they're real shitty to people. And word gets out and they start having a reputation. And you can still be very well-known and very rich and be kind of a jerk and still have success. But, you know, there's a point where the applause will stop you will get older. You may get sick. The fair weather isn't fair weather anymore, and it's stormy. In the atmospheric conditions that you left a lot of scorched earth and you annoyed or hurt a lot of people, and the party will come to an end, the party that was in your favor, at least you thought. And so I believe in karma, and I also just, when someone is only looking at a short period of a slice of life— they can often get misguided in thinking, wow, I don't get it. I don't understand it. If you look long-term, though, it almost never works out. See, even if someone... There's a difference between capability and characters. You can have great capabilities. There's a lot of people that have enormous sales capabilities. But what the shrapnel and the consequences of those capabilities are what you want to take into consideration. And so focus less on you know, the capabilities and more on your character. If you build a strong character, you don't want to adopt someone else's value system. You can read many books, listen to many podcasts, be influenced by a lot of people, but ultimately you got to put it through your own filter 
And lasting happiness doesn't come through consuming values. It comes from producing values and producing more than you consume is what's really important. So as we're all on the journey of learning, it's not about trying to pretend you're, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk or you're some, you know, well-known social media person. It's really about who are you and what's the skills and what's the value that you can bring and do you really care? And I never probably had that thought 20 years ago. I had to go through a lot of just heartbreak, some betrayals. I've sat with several people, you know, my father, my best friend, Sean Stevenson, who you probably remember, you know, little guy in the wheelchair, who was really not a little guy. He was a giant, but he was three feet tall and he had a brittle bone condition. And I was with him, you know, when he died in the hospital, along with his wife and a couple of other friends. And, you know, my dear friend, Dr. Janice Dorn, you know, I've sat with people, you know, while they were dying. And some of them, I was their primary caretaker. And when you're sitting with someone where you can't help them anymore, where they're going to die or they're in incredible pain, oftentimes the only thing you can do is just be present. And those moments are very difficult and they're very painful and they're also beautiful. And I really hope that when that time comes, if it does come for me, I hope I have people surrounding me and it doesn't matter what your status is or how many followers you have or how much money you have. You know, money helps, though. I don't want to poo-poo money. Let me make that clear. You know, people that say money can't buy happiness, you know, I buy happiness all the time with money. And people that say money can't buy happiness, you haven't given enough of it away because oftentimes if you can create means, you can help someone with education, with medical care, with all kinds of stuff. So money's important in the right context, though. Like, you know, Jim Rohn said, though, you can't pay someone to do your push-ups for you, and you can't pay someone to really love you. You know, you can be a rich person and just be an asshole to a lot of people, and they may be hanging around while the money's there, but they may not respect you. And so the real currency is the currency of connection and relationships. That's really valuable. And the truth is, if you want to make more money, you're going to make a lot more money being a decent human than being a connector versus a true connector. And so whatever skills, marketing, business, whatever someone's studying, if you do that through the lens of what's in it for them, I think you can do pretty well. I have a lot of friends, a lot of relationships, and I run a multi-million dollar business too. And that all started out, you know, from being a dead broke carpet cleaner, living off credit cards and having such severe addictions at one point in my life that I, you know, when I was 18 years old, I weighed 105 pounds from freebasing cocaine for over, you know, three months straight. I, not a single day went by where I was not, you know, doing large quantities of cocaine and just nearly killed myself. And the human spirit, if you don't completely destroy it, is quite resilient. And thank God I had people around me that cared more about me at times than I cared about myself. And I learned a lot from that. So part of it is, you know, live that way as best I can because sometimes life is wonderful and exciting and challenging and awesome and filled with joy. And other times it's, you can become desperate, self-centered, rude, oftentimes cruel. So I do my best to, you know, constantly check myself before I wreck myself sort of thing. Yeah. Thanks for that, Joe. Because I know you also are a big advocate and a supporter for people that have went through the same struggles that you have in your younger time. And I think that's one of the big ways that you actually give back and kind of anchors, you know, everything that you do in this kind of giving spirit. I wanted to take a moment just to kind of paint the picture of what is it like when you get to operate 
from this giving mentality and the kind of doors that have been opened for someone like you who's operated that way because you've given us a bit of a glimpse of how a lot of the things we might be chasing are a little superficial and the things that actually matter are these connections and nonetheless when you're out going to do a business which you have you're connected with a lot of people you have that support group because you've always been in it for them can you share a bit about like how does that operate as a business point of view because i know you're a big advocate for having like a fun elf style business and the fact that you have these powerful connections i feel is like a massive enabler for that and i just love to understand like you've applied these concepts how does it translate into your life and being a business owner well so at this point and i'm fortunate because i've set up and i worked my ass off for it too though i don't want to not give myself credit for a tremendous amount of effort and in order to have an elf business, which is easy, lucrative, and fun versus a half business, which is hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating, you may have to work pretty hard in the beginning to develop an elf business. So there's not a bypass where I just want everything to be easy, lucrative, and fun. There's a certain setup you have to do. Like if this hand over here is the conditions, all the things I want in my life, better health, better relationships, great clients, profitability, you know, it could be external things like you know, cars and houses and vacations and whatever, whatever someone's into, you have to set it up. So if this is the setup and here's the conditions, you have to set things up in order to have elf. And so as it, you know, ties into relationships, actually now one of the best ways to have an elf life is to eliminate anything that's half. That's hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. So I have a tool that we do in my entrepreneurial group, Genius Network, called Elf versus Half. And Elf marketing used to, I used to just think of Elf or what are the marketing strategies. So just to give an example, since so much of what you talk about is sales, when I was doing sales, I was doing a lot of manual marketing. I was talking to people that were not qualified, but I didn't know what marketing actually was. And I was trying to sell something nobody wanted to buy, which is carpet cleaning services. So I had to figure out how to successfully sell something nobody wants to buy. And that makes you pretty darn good at marketing when you have to effectively learn how to sell something nobody wants. Because some things are bought, like people go buy food, people go buy clothes, they buy things that they enjoy. No one wakes up and says, you know, I really hope the, the dog or the cat pisses in the corner so I can call a carpet cleaner. It's one of these things that... You know, no one wants to clean their carpet. It just comes with owning the stuff. So I happened to get into this accidental industry, and then I had to figure out how to effectively sell that. And so selling is what you do when you're on the phone or face-to-face -face with somebody. Marketing is what you do to get someone on the phone or face-to-face -face with you properly positioned. So by the time you're talking to them, they're pre-interested, pre-motivated, pre-qualified, and predisposed to do business with you. So marketing is what are you putting in front of someone? So relationship building in a lot of ways, how are you marketing yourself as a human? So I wanted to make my advertising valuable, even if someone never bought anything from me. So instead of saying, hey, hire my carpet cleaning business for the lowest price, I started advertising, you know, warning, don't call any carpet cleaner until you read this free report, you know, or this consumer's guide to carpet cleaning, how to choose a carpet cleaner. You know, I would have... <laughs> you know, four steps to choosing the right carpet cleaner. And it would, you know, go through a list of stuff. And my first sales letter, I looked at as elf marketing. So when people would call me up and say, how much do you charge? 
I would explain what I do, how I do it. And then half the time they'd say, well, let me talk to my husband and I'll call you back. And you, maybe you hear from, maybe you don't. But I just spent 10 or 20 minutes on the phone with someone. And again, Jason, this is before the internet existed. This is starting back in 1990 when I started my carpet cleaning business, a long time ago. And in 1992, I got introduced to, you know, how to do effective direct response marketing. And my first ELF strategy, I didn't call it ELF back then, though. I didn't learn the term ELF until 1999, but it became an ELF thing. So it's like I created a consumer's guide to carpet cleaning. I know all this from memory, and I spent $1,800 on a credit card because at this point in my carpet cleaning business, I was not making any money. And I had this idea, though, that, man, if I could just figure out how to replicate myself through selling, I wouldn't have to do... I didn't want anyone calling me up saying how much you charge. I wanted people to call me up and say, when can you do the job? So it's like, what do I have to put in front of them so I could not convince them? Because I don't like convincing people. My buddy, Dean Jackson, who I do my I Love Marketing podcast with, he has this great line where a compelling offer is 10 times more powerful than a convincing argument. So a compelling offer is 10 times more powerful than a convincing argument. So how do you make things compelling? And how do you make it compelling in an area that doesn't usually have a lot of compelling stuff. So I sat with this copywriter on money I had to borrow on a credit card to pay this guy to write a consumer awareness guide. And it's so funny as I say this, psychologically, this stuff works so well. I mean, I became the largest training organization in the world to professional carpet and upholstery cleaners and people that do fire and flood restoration in the 90s. And just a few years prior to that, I was just trying to figure out how to make my carpet cleaning business work. So once I figured out what I'm explaining, I really helped a lot of people. And it's generated literally several billion dollars that we can even track based on what started as a consumer awareness guide, which was an ELF marketing strategy. Now, I'll come back to how do you apply ELF to people, but I'll finish the example here. So I you know, taught this guy all about carpet cleaning. And people are like, oh, what the hell? My business is not carpet cleaning. Trust me, if you have anything more sexy than carpet cleaning that is your career. You can use this methodology. So the number one question in all consumers' minds is who can I trust? And that same question is even if they're not consumers. If you want to ask someone out on a date, if you're going to go eat food at a restaurant, you're still thinking, can I trust it? Can I trust this person? If you meet someone that wants to be your friend, it's still in the back of your head, you know, can I trust them? So number one question in everyone's mind is, you know, who can I trust? So your job as a business owner's marketers is to build, you know, trust and rapport, like I mentioned earlier, so they feel comfortable with you. And so when everyone was advertising the lowest price or bragging, you know, so much of their ego, here's the name of my company, here's my website, here's my social media, here's my phone number. Back then it was just phone numbers because there was no websites, there was no social media back then. So I would advertise, you know, Consumer's Guide to Carpet Cleaning. It said, read this guide and discover, and this is key, read this guide and discover. No one wants to learn anything. They want to discover stuff. <laughs> so learn is like, sounds like work, but discover sounds like, oh, I'm going to discover something. So that's where just thinking about how we talk and what's going on in people's minds. You know, if you want to sell what John Smith buys, you got to see through John Smith's eyes. So I had like six, read this guy and discover, you know, how to avoid four carpet cleaning ripoffs, six costly misconceptions about carpet cleaning, seven questions ask a carpet cleaner before you invite him into your home, crawling critters and crud, a guide to the slime, grime, and livestock that's seeping, creeping, and galloping through your carpet, the difference between value and price, which method cleans best, 
did I already say eight mistakes to avoid when choosing a carpet cleaner? And then they'd open it up and it said, dear homeowner, choosing a carpet cleaner isn't easy. Why? Because you're bombarded with confusing claims, simply bad information, near worthless methods, unqualified technicians. How do you ever find a qualified, competent carpet cleaner? You start by reading this guide. And now with this information, you can make an informed, intelligent decision, which is that's all people want. They don't want to make an idiotic, uninformed, confusing decision. They want to make an informed, intelligent decision. And so I started doing that in my carpet cleaning business. And all of a sudden, you know, I would advertise to request a consumer guide. It was a much different conversation than how much do you charge? Or tell me why I should hire you versus anyone else. And people would call me up and they're like, you know, request the consumer guy, but oftentimes they say, well, I want to get my carpets cleaned tomorrow. And back then, this was all direct mail. So when I hear people today, you can get AI to write a consumer guide for you, but you got to understand the psychology of it. You can deliver this instantaneously through email, through text, through social media. You can have landing pages. None of that stuff existed when I first learned all of this, but it was the most elf strategy. So, Technology is important, but psychology is infinitely more important. I'll even say it this way. So in 1997, at the Worldwide Developers Conference, Steve Jobs had a quote where he said, we focus first on the user experience, then we focus on the technology. Basically saying that technology is great, but psychology is way more important. And so when it comes to human relationships, one of the biggest advantages that people have that really care about people is we are going more into an AI world is everything's fake. Everything, everyone's like, you can have food delivered to your house, groceries delivered to your house, buy anything you want and not even have to interact with a human. Call up places, you don't even talk to humans anymore. Do you know how terrible that is for developing relationships with someone else, especially if you're a young person when you don't go out into the real world and talk to other humans? you know, how confusing that is. And so, man, you know, go out into the world and interact with real humans, even if you utilize, you know, tech and all that. And so that's a marketing methodology on ELF. And I used to only think of ELF as how do I make it easier? And so when people call up and say, you know, I want my carpets clean tomorrow, I didn't have enough time to send them a consumer awareness guide. So what I did is I created a consumer awareness message and I got a free recorded message. And then I read my entire consumer awareness guide into a 10 minute recording. And I would run ads that say, warning, don't call any carpet cleaner to listen to this free recorded message. Call anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Learn seven questions, ask a carpet cleaner before you invite them into your home and how to avoid four carpet cleaning roof offs. And people would call up, they listen to that message, and then they would literally, any time during the recording, they could press zero and be directly connected to me or to my office. And this is when I was a one-man show, still cleaning carpets. I'd answer the phone, and they would be like, you know, I listened to your message. When can we book the job? And I was like, oh, my God. Like, the free recorded message, you know, was better than any salesperson I could ever hire. It worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never bitched about a headache, always delivered a perfect articulate pitch. And my advertising was valuable. So even if they never did business with me, I was teaching them everything they needed to know on how to hire a service business. So by the late 90s, uh, every major phone book in every city in the United States had one or multiple versions of my ads, not only for carpet and upholstery cleaning, fire and water damage. We had, I had licensed my stuff to home remodelers, pest control, jewelers, printers, painters, florists, auto sales, hair and nail salons. And we were literally, these licensees were selling millions of dollars worth of training to teach people effective elf strategies. 
and here's what's weird about it, Jason. It took me probably a decade to realize ELF doesn't just apply to marketing techniques or business techniques. It applies to people. It applies to projects. And so today, to go back to your original question that I went on this whole rant about, I put everyone through the ELF filter. You know, is this person easy, lucrative, and fun, or are they hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating? You can tell if you, you know, if you're not inebriated on sugar or caffeine or drugs and alcohol, your gut tells you if this person is safe or not. But oftentimes we are so masked with activity that we don't pay attention to stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of red flags that are dangerous, but you got to notice the yellow flags too. So, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, there's a reason my book is yellow, you know, what's in it for them. I mean, part of it, people don't know, is like, look out for the yellow flags, because that's the indicator of be cautious, you know, just not, it could be a good thing, but it could be a real bad thing. And one of the things I always love the Zig Ziglar quote, you can get anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. With the caveat, though, is that you can help a lot of people get what they want, they won't do a damn thing for you. And some of them will abuse you and take advantage of you. So these quotes that sound really good, you have to take it in the right context, you know. And if you're a giver, oftentimes the people that we want to try to get their attention, and again, I'm saying this from my own life experience. For me, doesn't mean everyone thinks like this. I found myself early on, if someone didn't, you know, pay attention to me or didn't like me, it bothered me. And Oftentimes, we are trying to get the approval of people or the attention of people that are not easy, lucrative, and fun, that aren't really caring. And what I want to really help people do is to, to really, it's not about winning, you know, friends and influencing people. I love the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. In the beginning of my book, I actually acknowledge Dale Carnegie's book, recommend everybody read that book. That book was instrumental in my life. That book is amazing. And... I wanted to add to it. I, I, I didn't want to replace it. It's a, it's a great book. Uh, anyone that reads that book is going to get a lot more out of my book. And the, the thing is, it's about winning the right friends and influencing the right people. So we do want to win friends and influence people, but we want to do it with people that we're aligned with, and we want to do it with the right people. Because if you win the wrong friends, they aren't really friends, and people want to be influencers. They want to be an influencer. I think that is so funny. You know, people call, call themselves influencers. Well, what are you influencing? What's, are you spewing bullshit out into the world? So uh, it depends on what you're influencing. I mean, the godfather of influence is Dr. Robert Cialdini, who wrote the book Influence 30 years ago. I had lunch and dinner with him four days ago. And, uh, you know, he's sold five million books, endorsed by Warren Buffett and all kinds of different people. You know, he's, 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 but he's never been a, like a modern day version of an influencer. He just studied influence techniques. And so uh, who do you want to influence? You want to influence people that are easy, lucrative, and fun. And I would suggest people do an audit of their relationships. Who do you like the most? Why do you like them? What value do they bring to their life? And to go back to your question, if someone's like, well, how do you meet these high-level people? Part of it is you really start becoming a pain detective. You can develop relationships with people in fun, enjoyable ways where you're into the same sort of stuff, be it sports or yoga or business or music or whatever. However, if you want really deep rapport with someone, find a problem or a pain or an angst that they have and offer them a solution to it. And don't just say to people, how can I help you? Find out what they need help with and just be helpful. Because if you have to ask them, you know, 
hey, how can I help you? It sounds like you are caring about them. And oftentimes you probably do care about them, but the, that doesn't actually help someone that's already overwhelmed and has a million people asking them, how can I help you? You know, when someone just lost a loved one, could be an animal, could be a child, could be their partner, you know, it, it could be any family member, friend. A lot of people are trying to reach out and say, how can I help you? You I mean, it's like, hey, I know you're going through a lot. Can I bring you lunch tomorrow? That's a much different thing than can I help you with anything? Because when someone's traumatized or in pain, that's difficult. So first chapter of what's in it for them is be a pain detective. Pain is a messenger. Wherever you have pain or angst in your life, that is life's way of saying pay attention. It could be a physical pain in your body. It could be a depression, a sadness, a loneliness. And it's okay to sit with pain. As a matter of fact, pain is going to be the greatest teacher. If you think of all the breakthroughs that you've had, I'll just focus this on you, Jason. A lot of your businesses and a lot of things that you do in your life, if you were to think about what was the domino, what was the impetus that started it, it came out of usually, not always, but usually some form of adversity. See, what a business is for the entrepreneurs out there and anyone that has a job is actually in business because, you know, unless you're, unless you're a government bureaucrat that's just, you're probably not going to be listening to this podcast, you're out there having to, you know, create value for money in some form of business enterprise. A business is solving problems for a profit. There would be no business if there were any problems in the world. So most people try to avoid problems and avoid pain. And I'm like, shit, man, I wake up and say, wherever there's anxiety, there's opportunity. Wherever there's pain in the world, someone needs that pain to go away. And if I could show up, and sometimes it's just putting a smile on someone's face if you're going to lunch and there's a server and they're seeming to have a bad day and you just really genuinely say, you know, thank you. Thank you for being awesome. And who becomes my close friends in my life? Or I look at people that are more powerful. How do they treat people that are less powerful than them? When you get to a position of status, and I know a lot of people, I mean, if people doubt any of that, do a Google search. You can see me with a, so many people and, and people are always like, how do you meet this person? How do you meet that person? It's like, you know, just because you know a famous person doesn't mean jack shit. And famous people and, well, you know, when you're in addiction recovery and you meet some of the most well-known people in the world in recovery, you realize that some of the people that the world admires are oftentimes so broken, so in pain, and just because everyone admires them doesn't mean they're not depressed. Many commit suicide. Many live quiet lives of desperation. And oftentimes, fame and <laughs> status comes with a price of you know selling your soul. It's a bit of a mixed bag. And... So I, I just go back to how is someone suffering and how can I help? And in the suffering, I find the connection, not only with them, but with myself. Because when I'm suffering and when I'm in pain, which is a lot, I need someone to talk to. I need a sounding board. I need a compassionate, empathetic person. When I'm confused, when I'm lost, when I'm not sure what the hell to do, you know, it's really great to have a human you can call and talk to them. You know, looking for love in all the wrong places is addiction. Looking for love in all the right places is connection. Joe, I'm just having such a good time listening in. You're such a wealth of wisdom. And, you know, I've went through your Piranha marketing courses and I actually did a whole breakdown of that. I think that was where we first got connected through that. 
I've had you on the show before. We talked a lot about being these easy, lucrative, and fun businesses. And I know these are big concepts. I'm going to encourage everyone to go back to that episode that we did talking more in depth about that. I love how this whole topic is about what's in it for them. And for me, I find it's such a relevant mindset to have for building relationships, for thinking about how to do your marketing, for thinking about how to do your sales. Always being other focused is actually a great way for being you know, much more connected. And you know, just looking at what you've shared today, uh, you've made the most of the time that we have just giving as much value as possible. And I know that's how you operate in every interaction that you have. There's one question I always ask on a show before I wrap it up is, you know, you are on the Selling with Love podcast. So what does selling with love mean to Joe Polish? <laughs> it's funny how you call me Polish. You and Vision both call me Polish, but it's like nail polish. Ah. But yeah, which is fine. We have too many coworkers that are from Poland. So I think I've messed that one. So some people call me Polish too, and half my family still uses Polish. But what's funny is when I went into the carpet cleaning business, everyone thought I'd change. I got made fun of my whole life with that name. And then when I get into the cleaning business, then people are like, oh, Joe Polish, you know, you're in the cleaning business. So it tended to work for me. <laughs> you were made but, for this business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let me say this about selling. So my favorite definition of selling is, and then I'll relate this to love, is from Dan Sullivan. And I asked him years ago, you know, Dan, what's your definition of selling? And he just blurted out. And I wrote this down because I asked him to repeat it. He said, getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them and then getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result. And I was like, I thought about that a lot. And I've literally done this in front of hundreds of people, sometimes over a thousand people at an event. And I'll say, okay, write this definition of selling down. Getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them and getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result. And I'll ask people, what do you think the most important word is or words out of that definition is? And people say, you know, committed or engaged, um, action. But then they'll finally, someone will say, good for them. Because you can get someone intellectually and emotionally engaged in something that isn't good for them. Eat this crappy food, drink this alcohol, smoke this cigarette, watch this porn, sell this course that is really bullshit in a box, but you're going to use hypey marketing and you're going to lie through your teeth and you're going to hype, you know, hype used ethically is massive enthusiasm for what you're selling. Hype used unethically is lying, misleading, bullshitting, exaggerating. And that's the love-hate relationship I have with many marketers because marketing is a great thing if used ethically. Marketing used unethically is some of the tyrants running the world, some of the pharmaceutical companies, some of the lives that have been destroyed over the last three years with the propaganda and the fear porn and all of the, you know, terrible ways that people try to get people intellectually and emotionally engaged in just, you know, horrible belief systems in tyranny. So if you're operating from a place of love, so to get someone intellectually and emotionally engaged in a future result that's good for them, if you had a friend that someone you really cared about, it could be a family member that you love, a child, best friend, partner, whatever, and they're with someone and you know it's just not going to go well. They're with a bad person or someone that doesn't have their best interest at heart or you know they're going down a dark place. Well, what would you do to try to get them to not fall into you know, the quicksand or the pit or get wrapped up with someone that's a known con artist or whatever. You would challenge them. You would do your best to persuade them. If they're going through a difficult time, you would listen to them. You would be 
compassionate. You would do whatever it is. You know, what are the qualities and characteristics that would come out? You know, care, concern, empathy, help, assistance, whatever. And I would have people list all of the qualities and characteristics that come out when you are trying to get someone intellectually and emotionally engaged in a future result that's good for them. Get them away from something you know, metaphorically speaking, get away from the hot stove to not burn themselves or go towards something that is really beneficial, you know, either towards something great or away from something bad. You would, all these wonderful characteristics of caring would come out. So what you would basically be doing is you'd be selling somebody. So when you are selling someone in the best of ways, the best qualities of a human start to express themselves. So knowing that if you're selling someone, so there's a bad connotation with selling. One of the things that I would suggest to people is think of selling as influence and think of marketing as storytelling. If you're more influential, you're going to do better. If you tell a better story, you're going to enroll more people. Nothing bad with marketing or selling. It's how it's used, though. You know, I was on a plane flying from Phoenix to Los Angeles today, and I was sitting next to a NFL player, and we were talking. And talking about growing up, about when I was 10 years old, I lived in a small town called Alpine, Texas. And I would walk out in the morning on a Saturday, and sometimes I had a BB gun or a wrist rocket or sticks. There's no cell phones. There's not, and I'd walk around. This was, you know, literally 45 years ago. And I would walk for miles, and no one could, if something happened to me, there was no one to call. There were no cell phones. And hardly any kids today, you know, like in America, I mean, certainly there's parts of the world, but most young people are never going to live like that anymore. They're going to be closer to tech. You know, they're going to have access to stuff. And also told him, I said, we used to walk around with 22 rifles when I was in school. And we'd have guns in school. There were shooting classes in school. And the kids, no one was shooting each other. Was it the guns or was it the mental conditions of all of the disconnections? So we're more connected electronically today, but we're more disconnected as humans. So to bring it back to love, if you're influencing and persuading somebody in a way that's good for them, the best qualities and characteristics of a person comes out. And what happens is there's less violence, <laughs> there's less disagreement, there's more connection because when people become disconnected, they start to hate each other. They start to hate their jobs. They become what happens to a lot of doctors that are continuously around sick, dying people is they get compassion fatigue because you just see nothing but pain and angst. So pain is a good indicator so you can do something about it. But if your whole life is painful and you don't have any relief from that, then you're going to go sideways. So one of the best ways to sell with love is to focus on what's in it for them. You know, ask yourself that question, live it out. Don't just say it. This is not supposed to be like a seminar speech. This is a way of being. And in order to protect the givers of the world from the takers, you want to take your time, attention, money, effort, and energy, and you want to focus on selling people in a way that's intellectually and emotionally engaging. You want to do things that are good for them. You don't want to ever sell something to somebody that you know is not good for them. Because even in a desperate attempt, you may make money in the short term, you give a little piece of your karma away to the dark side every time you do it. And you may be able to lie 
or get away with it. But ultimately, I think it comes back to, you know, you're going to either make deposits into people in a healthy way or you're going to make withdrawals. And if you keep making withdrawals, 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 I don't think it ends well. And in some people, it seems like they get away with it, but watch their lives. Watch some of these people that oftentimes people are envious and jealous of because I am not going to sit and pretend like it's easy to watch people that are scoundrels getting away with stuff and getting celebrated and things. But I'll tell you, you know, anything that is valuable is earned. When you work out and you eat healthy, believe me, if there were no consequences, I would love to do all the addictions that I, you know, have had in my life. Work, sex, drugs. I mean, there's a part of that that's fun, except there's this thing called consequences. And so, you know, life is easy if you live it the hard way and hard if you live it the easy way, which is what my friend Dave Kekich would say, who spent half of his life in a wheelchair. It's hard sometimes to exercise and get to bed and put the phone down when the dopamine machine is just taunting you to keep looking at the fear porn and all of the other stuff. But I'll tell you, you know, there's consequences to every behavior. Everything we say yes to, we say no to something else. So if you say yes to, you know, taking advantage of people, yes to being self-serving, you say no to all of the wonderful consequences you can do stuff. So for selling with love, if you want more love, if you want more connection, then the best qualities and characteristics come out of you when you're selling in that manner. So the question is, if the best qualities of somebody display themselves when they're selling, how often should somebody be selling? All the time. Sell all the time. But not the type of selling that is like, selling is not yelling. Selling is not trying to convince somebody to learn all kinds of techniques that you can. And there's a lot, I mean, I won't name names because a lot of them are famous people and sometimes I don't mind doing it. Because honestly, people that won't like my book are the takers of the world anyway. So I think anyone that does not resonate with this, I I already know who's like kind of a person who's a narcissist or whatever. They could possibly read this book that I spent two years on and somehow say this is a bad operating system. That tells me everything I need to know about the person. And it's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because it's a great filter for me to know who I want to associate with. I have people doing book clubs in my book with their clients because they actually want it to train the people that are awesome to be in their world and to repel the assholes. And I'm like, good, more power to you, because that's what I wrote the damn book for to myself, you know? So that being said, any final things I could say is that I know there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of challenges. And oftentimes, you know, it's really hard if you feel like nobody loves you to to actually put forth that energy. But the weird thing about it is it's counterintuitive. If you think your life sucks go and be helpful to someone whose life sucks more, or at least you think it does, because there's at least 3 billion people on the planet, and I remind myself of this daily, their dreams would come true if they could change places with someone like me or you for even an hour, you know, and there's a lot of pain in the world. So that means there's a lot of opportunity. And if you're in pain, go to a 12-step group, you know, go reach out to someone. If you feel like you're so disconnected, you're so shy, you're so introverted, yeah, that's just life way of saying, you know what, you need a little bit of connection. Vitamin C is one of the most important things that you could ever consume and that you could ever take. And what that means, vitamin C, is vitamin connect. And my friend, Dr. Edward Hallowell, he's the ADD, ADHD psychiatrist. You know, he's the one that came up with that term. So, you know, sometimes when you're feeling just shitty, vitamin C and... What 
comedy is. You need comedy in your life. You know, easy, lucrative, and fun. You can gauge the value of most relationships by how often they laugh together. So what comedy is, is pain plus time equals comedy. If you could think of the most painful moments in your life in the past, some of them you can go back and laugh at them because you put time between it. So even if it seems like things are just difficult and challenging, they are right now. And it may be a while, and you may need to go to a therapist, and you may need to process it. You may need to make amends. You may need to, you know, develop some sleep rituals or things like that. But the fact is, there will be a point in time where almost everything that's painful in your life, you will look back and be like, God, that used to bother me so much. That person broke my heart. That person betrayed me. I thought my life was over. I got fired. I got rejected. And there will be a point in time, like my buddy Sean Stevenson said, you know, rejection is God's protection. And it often doesn't make sense, you know, especially if you've dealt with like a shitty narcissist or someone that was just an awful person. But I'll tell you, you know, it's just life's way of saying, get away from that person, go find some love, go find some connection. It's always there. When the sun is out, is always there. There's clouds often in the way. And it's just your job, you know, your atmospheric conditions, they happen to you, of course, but it's your responsibility, which is responding with ability. And so when you're reacting to life, look for ways to respond because when I'm reacting, life doesn't work for me. When I'm responding, I am in, you know, love is the killer app. So is connection. And it's always there. It's just oftentimes we have to navigate our way through it and stuff. But yeah. So, and if anyone wants any help or suggestions with that, I think my book, I spent two years writing the book. I think it covers a lot of that. Hopefully it'll be helpful. And if it's not, keep listening to Jason's podcast and don't just listen to it, apply it, you know, because you got to apply the stuff. It's one thing to hear things. You know, there's a difference between caring versus being committed. Like I said earlier, we all care. We all care about being more connected, but are you committed? So find five or 10 people that have mattered in your life as soon as you can after listening to this and tell them, I appreciate you. Thank you for making this difference in my life. Can I help you with anything? And you'd be surprised how reciprocal it will come back. Don't ask them for something. Don't do it half-assed, like genuinely give an appreciative comment, a sincere one. Flattery works short-term, just like eating cotton candy may make you feel like you're eating food, but it's not real nutrition. Share real, genuine nutrition with people that love you and that have loved you. And if you don't feel anyone loves you, then just start loving more. Because if you do, you'll find people that love you. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've shared everything from the heart, and I think you'll appreciate this. There's one thing I do a play on words for sales, which is it's ABC, always be caring. And I think that everything that you teach, everything you speak about shows the amount of care. And for those who are tuning in, definitely go and check out, grab a copy of the book. Make sure you subscribe to the I Love Marketing podcast as well. Joe shares so many amazing insights. And like I said, we've just touched the tip of the iceberg on the wealth of knowledge this man brings. I'm so happy we got a chance to listen. Some of the biggest takeaways I've taken from this conversation. Number one, yeah, we are trying to connect with the famous people, but there's a whole lot of fake connections and that's happening more and more in the world of social media. But taking the time to find deep, true connections that actually show that we're committed to actually caring is gonna be one of the most important things to do. A lot of the work has to come from working on ourselves, our past traumas, our past patterns. And if you go deeper into the book, you're gonna realize there's a whole lot of effort to do on ourselves to be able to connect with others and actually have other people's interests at heart because we have to take care of our own needs too. 
I love that you shared a lot about how to build an elf business, which is about how to have easy, lucrative, and fun business. And that's not just applied to the way that you do your marketing. It can be applied to every way and every person you connect with. And so run the test. Are the people you're connecting with uplifting? And can we see the people that might not be the most healthy people to have around you? can actually be brought outside of your life so that you can actually move forward with less baggage. There's so much about connection that was shared. There's so much about us moving forward in a powerful way. So go out with commitment. And Joe, I want to give you a space. I think you had to add one more thing. Yeah, I just realized that, you know, I've talked about addiction and stuff. And one of my biggest goals is I want to change the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment and to find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy and share it with the world. So I have an educational platform. No one has to buy anything. We don't sell anything there. Maybe one day we will. We currently don't. It's a 501c3. And we make available to people videos, education, links to meetings, a blog that's written by one of the most brilliant addiction therapists in the world, Ken Wells, twice a week, not written by AI, but by a person who's been doing this for decades. And it's free. It's geniusrecovery.org. And so if you have friends or family members or yourself that struggle with addiction and you just need some direction and guidance, you're not going to recover from addiction by reading a book or reading a blog or watching a podcast or a video, but it will give you some direction and stuff. And so if anyone's struggling, I have an open letter that's a very short letter about my views on addiction. And that's what I do. And then if anyone doesn't even have the means to buy my book, What's in it for them? That's my newest one. I hope you do if you liked anything I said today. If you don't, I give a book away for free called Life Gives to the Giver. And it's at joesfreebook.com. And we're not going to put you into an upsell funnel that's going to cause you to have to get anything useful and give you a crappy book. It's a really good book and it's free and you can download it because I know a lot of your listeners are all at different parts of the world. And so, yeah, and that's it. And Jason, you know, let me ask you a question. How many podcasts do you think you've done at this point? We're over 380 at this point. And so, yeah, we've been going at this for four years now. Yeah. Well, let me ask you then, out of all the things that you've heard from different perspectives, different people, their insights, their life experience, what are like maybe two or three lessons that from doing this and inquiring and having all these conversations and spending literally hundreds of hours in conversations, what do you think are the biggest lessons that you've gotten out of talking to everyone? I'd say one of the key ones is that a lot of the things that are considered very human ways of interacting are usually the things that actually work. And what I mean by that is like, there's so much that are gimmicks, hacks, tricks that get a lot of limelight in the marketing and sales world. But when you start actually thinking like, oh, wow, that's a great way to treat a human. Those are the time tested things that are actually the most effective. And we have to keep reminding. And I bring so many guests that's just different angles on reminding us to all be humans in the way that we connect with each other. So that's one. The second one would be how everything actually takes a lot more time than we assume. And so <laughs> I know I have to get people's attention. And so I'm always trying to think like, okay, I get people's like, hey, quick ways to have success. And every time we talk about it, there's a big, big portion that's about like crafting your skills, achieving mastery that nobody really wants to talk about. And we're always trying to see it. It's like, yeah, you want to have great success. It's like you have to develop your skill that generally gives value to others. You can't shortcut that. So there's a lot of things we need to, to remind ourselves that I've had those conversations and I try to bring them back. And then one that... It's like this constant reminder that it's hard work, but it doesn't necessarily need to be like boring. It doesn't need to be like awful. 
but it's hard. You got to put in time and you got to put in hours, but when you're very much aligned with mission and you're doing it for the right reasons, it usually can be actually energizing to put in all that work. And so, yeah, on the spot, I'd say those are the three biggest things. No, those are great. Those are great. I often say this, and I've been saying it lately, it applies to both men and women, but a lot of my male friends that haven't done the deep work, and I know you've done a lot of deep work, and even writing a book requires a lot of effort. If you, you know, It's not just writing a book for other people, it's what writing a book does for yourself. And you've put a lot of time into this. A lot of my friends that won't face and do deep work, they start a podcast as an excuse to like, you know, oh, if I talk to a bunch of smart people, then, you know, I might have my life together. And not that it doesn't help, because it actually does. You learn a tremendous amount of stuff by interviewing and talking to people. The key, though, you know, and I can tell by, you know, our conversations we've had and everything. I mean, you're a very reflective, thoughtful human, and you're always seeking to learn as much as you can and then share that with other people. And that's important things. And so for the people that are listening out there, doing deep work there's all kinds of, if you put a puzzle together, the outer edge is the puzzle. You can get a gym membership. You can buy a new outfit, maybe buy a car, go to a weekend seminar and get all jacked up and excited, go on a medicine journey. Sometimes medicine journeys are really serious, deep work, depending on how it's done. But nonetheless, you know, you get your hair done. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do on outer puzzle stuff. But if you're having to leave a really difficult relationship or you're having to deal with trauma or face an addiction and walk into a 12-step group and get a sponsor and you know, go through some somatic therapy or literally do a 10-day silent retreat, I mean, whatever it is that really causes you to dance with your shadow or to face you know, deep stuff, that is the thing that will make the difference. And so even though I can talk about a lot of methodologies for connecting with people, how much you do with it is your commitment to go deep with it. So the reason I wanted to ask you those questions is the first thing you mentioned, you know, it, it reminds me of this and then I will shut up because it, uh, my brain hears things and I just process it. <laughs> Sometimes the things that make the biggest difference in the world cost nothing. So, you know, waking up in the morning, if you can, doing 10 push-ups immediately, you know, before you do anything, even if you have to pee really bad, you know, if you just do that, it does something for you. And, you know, saying thank you, just simple stuff can do wonders. I interviewed a guy years ago and we were talking about the space pen. And there was this urban myth that it cost like $10 million for NASA to develop the space pen because it could write upside down underwater, never ran out of ink, didn't matter what gravity was so that astronauts could always have something to write. And it's this little silver pen. You can buy them on Amazon for like 30 bucks or whatever. But there's this whole story and they used all this, you know, marketing about the space pen. And I was interviewing a guy and he said, you know, the Russians didn't have $10 million, so they just used a pencil. So sometimes the simplest things make all the difference in the world. And I've learned that with connection. You know, you don't need a bunch of smoke and mirrors. You just need to think what's in it for them. You need to care. And you also need to be a receiver. So even with all this stuff, if you're a good, caring, generous person, make sure you allow people to give to you. And that's oftentimes very hard, especially for people that are wounded and hurt. So just also with all the stuff I've said about what's in it for them, you also need to take care of you too, because you can't fix the world with broken hands. Hmm. Joe, I, I know you have a dinner, but I got to squeeze one question since we opened up this can of worms, which is, 
everyone's talking about the shiny object of AI and how it can automate everything. And again, I'm feeling like this is another lore that's getting everybody hyped up and the fundamentals need to be kept in place. I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on that because yeah, I can do a bunch of my automation things, but like you talked about the psychology being so important and that human aspect needing to stay. Have you juggled with that thought? Can I read something that I wrote? Now, this was written in... December of 2022, I sent this email out to my list. And it's about AI. And let me first say that last weekend, I did a two-day $10,000 person AI training for my Genius Network members on hands-on teaching them how to use different two guys. And I won't call myself an expert in AI, but I know of a lot of very smart AI people. You know, Ray Kurzweil's a personal friend of mine. He's been director of engineering at Google. His team are the ones that created the system in Gmail that it auto-fills. They were using AI before ChatGPT came out. And 20%, if not more, of all the emails that are sent in the world right now, his team created that technology. And he read my whole book and endorsed it, right? And so I'm around a lot of really smart AI people, but I wouldn't consider myself a genius in it. But every meeting we've been doing since December at Genius Network, we have topics on AI. We do genius mornings about AI. So it's going to change a lot. And it's fascinating. Right now, you know, I have a phone number where people can call and they can ask marketing questions, business questions, life questions. And a lot of my stuff, it's not ready for prime time yet. It's pretty darn accurate. And I had one of my friends earlier today call and I said, ask it anything you want. And he's like, oh my God. I was blown away by this thing. We're using AI for genius recovery to help guide and direct people. Artists for Addicts, you know, my partner and artist for Addicts, Akira Chan, you know, we're using, you know, AI to make art at Genius Recovery as an example. You know, we have all of the art for the blog is made with mid-journey, and then we're starting to take the blog post and we're translating them into different languages so that people around the world will be releasing that soon so that the stuff that we create can be helpful to people where we don't know how to speak their language. And then we'll be using, you know, Eleven Labs and other voice cloning technologies to read it for people, right? So I'm using a lot of this stuff, but like you said, there's that saying, you know, if you invent a ship, you've invented a shipwreck. If you invent a plane, you've invented plane crashes. AI is going to create a whole nother level of addiction. It just will. So here's what I wrote. And again, take into consideration at the time I sent this out, it had only been a month since uh, ChatGPT had come out. And things have dramatically changed since the time I sent this out. But here you go. And it said, deep fake love letters in a dopamine AI world. Hi, Joe. You've probably seen the rise of ChatGPT, MidJourney, and other accessible AI scripts that are now being made available uh, for us. Here's what no one is talking about as it relates to all of this. One of the biggest dangers here is we are going to rewrite and rewire dopamine. There's an author named Anna Lemke, who is a professor of psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine and chief of the Stanford Addiction Medicine Dual Diagnosis Clinic. Anna wrote a book called Dopamine Nation, and I would highly recommend you read it since it's an amazing book on dopamine, addiction, and more. It's a book that explains not just the biochemistry of addiction, but the biochemistry of losing control. In fact, I was messaging with Anna, and she said 
something really interesting on this whole topic. She said, what we need is a nuanced discussions around how the very same technologies that can revolutionize our lives for the better also have a dark side. In contemplating the AI of the near future, I like to ponder what AI will never do as well as humans. Love, hug, feel shame, apologize and mean it, grow a garden and smell the flowers, kick a soccer ball with the grace and majesty of a World Cup player, and so on. I'm starting to realize how hard it is for my vision to read this tiny little email I'm sending out on my iPhone. All right. <laughs> As we begin to appreciate what human activities AI will replace and those it won't, we'll be able to think through the human workforce of the future and how to guide the next generation. When you start feeding the dopamine machine so that people want everything instantaneously, who's going to take time to be patient for anything? Patience is going to go out the window. Bottom line, humans are not built for this. We have not evolved quickly enough to know how to handle this, and there is going to be a complete overload of the nervous system. That's why my book, What's In It For Them, speaks to the need of human connection. There's a lot of abilities for the advances in technology to disconnect people and being a real person is more important than ever before. AI is going to completely reorient and reorient organize the entire workforce. We now have computer programs that can do the creative work people once did. What other businesses are going to be decimated? You think AI writing a computer script or an article for you is crazy? What if you need to figure out a holiday gift for someone and you have bits of little information and that you feed into an AI? All of a sudden, the AI is compiling the perfect way to impress somebody. And of course, now you can do that instantaneously. It's just part of what people are doing every day. My friend Akira Chan, he's my partner in Artist for Addicts, said something profound in an audio message to me. He said, I think we're going to see an even bigger epidemic of people who are really disconnected and begin to really disassociate with themselves because of how convincing and useful AI is going to become. If you can tell an AI to write a brilliant love letter to a person you're dating or a marriage proposal or write your essay for you on top of using AI to make yourself look like a superhero and look 10 times younger, that becomes an extreme addiction. Think of that, AI writing the perfect love letter and fashioning for you the perfect visual avatar. Who is ever going to be real anymore? Where's the authenticity going to come from. When people know that the things they wrote weren't really written by them, no one feels authentic anymore. People talk about deep fakes. You want to know what a real deep fake is? When everyone knows they're fake, when everything is fake, what will people crave? You're about to see a mass level of inability of people to function with other human beings. What's going to happen in the next year is going to be insane. The plumber may end up becoming more valuable than the presidential scriptwriter. Feed the political issues that need to be addressed into an AI, appease the masses, but AI isn't fixing toilets yet. Having said that, there are really good things that can, of course, be done with AI. For example, there's an AI newsletter that I'm currently testing called Daily AI that curates materials together to create a Connection Insider newsletter because I have connectioninsider.ai. I have a newsletter that's written by AI. When using AI to find articles and share things with people, you know, people seem to like it. That's a useful use of AI for sharing things and connecting. So there is a sanity solution for all this, and I'll talk about it in part two. And that's what I did. I wrote a second part about the positive parts with it. But bottom line is, there's good and bad. And like I said, you know, we invented AI. There's going to be, you know, I have Tom's disease just like anyone else, which is terrified of missing shit. It's a, you know, form of FOMO. <laughs> and so, you know, there's massive FOMO. And of course, there's all these marketers that are doing everything they can to jump on the, you know, how to get rich with AI and all that sort of stuff. And some people won't. And a lot of people are going to pull into the hype. But the bigger thing, more of a reason to have real human connection, because it's an incredible facilitator. And I believe it will change everything in so many ways. But it ain't going to do your push-ups for you. 
So that's where being a real human comes in. And that's a great way to close on is, my God, guys, go and pick up this book. This is the guide we need, the connection. It comes from reality. It comes from human to human. I love that at the end of the book, you actually talked about being closer with people and actually physically being with people. And I think there's going to be a huge resurgence of live events because we won't trust anything else online. So from a wrap up to an amazing post conversation, Joe, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. I could have conversations with you for hours and looking forward to staying in touch. And for everybody listening, all the links of everything that Joe spoke about, including for those who are seeking help are going to be included in the show notes. Reach out for help, connect with people, show appreciation, gratitude for those you love. And of course, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.